Welcome to Highland Objects, podcasts that take you on a cultural tour of the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Highland Objects or visit the website islandobjects.wordpress.com. Podcast 12. The Soldier's Leap at Killiecrankie. Andrew Grant McKinnich, Agus Hamiolaka Yachtrina Gaeltacht. Hello, I'm Andrew Grant McKenzie and I'm the Highland Historian. You can find out more about me at www.highlandhistorian.com. Now, I'm very pleased to have been asked to champion the Soldier's Leap for this podcast, but as we're going to find out, it's a very strange object to be included. Specifically because it's not really an object, it's more a place and an event which creates a range of reactions, and it's an event which took place during the Battle of Killiecrankie. Now, on the 27th of July 1689, the first battle involving a Jacobite army in Scotland was fought in the Pass of Killiecrankie between James Graham of Claverhouse, Viscount Dundee, in charge of the Jacobite army, and Hugh Mackay of Scurry, in charge of the Williamite army. In this case, both armies were predominantly Scottish. The development towards this battle is rooted in the very beginnings of Jacobitism, with the events which saw James VII and II deposed late in 1688 and replaced on the throne by William of Orange and his wife as Queen, James's daughter Mary. The war in Ireland between William of Orange and supporters of the Jacobite movement, the move to return the throne to James, began in earnest in March 1689, when James landed there on the 12th of March. Claverhouse's rising of Jacobites in Scotland, beginning with the, the first rising of a Jacobite standard in Scotland in April 1689 in Dundee, after the Convention of Estates offered the Scottish throne to William and Mary, was a simultaneous effort with those of James in Ireland to stretch the resources of the Williamites. Initially, the Jacobite force was largely a lowland army with some Highlanders, but Irish and Highland reinforcements, mainly Camerons, arrived at Blair Athol on the 26th of July to join them. They brought with them the Irish tactics that had been employed so strongly in the battles of the mid-1600s, specifically for the Royalists during the Covenanter period. Hugh Mackay of Scurry, commander-in-chief of the Williamite forces in Scotland, was certainly moved by his strong Protestantism to be a supporter of William but was also moved by his apparent hatred of some clans and sections of Highland society to develop his career towards the point of the highest command. One example was a note in his memoirs that he had planned to rid the world of Mackenzie's. After an early skirmish during the morning with Mackay's forces as they entered the steep-sided pass of Killiecrankie and down towards the River Garry, the Jacobite Sir Alexander Maclean and 400 of his men turned to the high ground and lined up with the Jacobite force of around 2,500 men. The much larger force of the Williamite army then awaited an attack, having, as they thought, lined up in a strong position. Mackay had placed key regiments like that of Balfour, the Scots Brigade, and Lauder, experienced and well-trained men on the left flank, with the best field and the best fire toward the Jacobite positions. Dundee delayed his attack and made the Williamite army wait. The battle did not begin until early evening, possibly around eight o'clock. 
At this time, the sun would be setting in the Pass of Killiecrankie. As a tactic, this must have unsettled Mackay, and he appears to suggest this himself in a letter written by him to the Duke of Carmelton on the 29th of July. In it, he claims he stood within musket fire of the enemy for two hours in battle order, but he goes on to claim that he judged it unnecessary to attack due to his superior numbers and forces. Despite this, however, when the battle did begin, Mackay's weaknesses were exposed in every possible sense. His army was largely newly raised regiments, with very little training and even less experience in the field of battle. This must have played a part in what happened next, but more so than this, the technological circumstances regarding weaponry at the time favoured the brutal Highland and Irish fighting tactics. Having fired a single volley from pistols and muskets before dropping the firearms, screaming gales ran downhill towards some battle-hardened regiments and a lot of non-battle-hardened soldiers. They had dirks, broadswords, targes, this if we are ever to pick a moment in the Jacobite period or the entirety of Scottish history when the largely romanticised Highland charge actually happened for real with the repercussions we all imagine when discussing it, this was it. The soldiers facing this Highland charge, filled with steel and war cries, had a vital tactical manoeuvre to make if they were going to stand and fight. They would need to cease firing their muskets and then they would have to carefully place their plug bayonets, named because they would completely plug the barrel of the muskets, into the barrel. This is very tricky to do when faced with screaming, crying gales running downhill with lots of steel coming towards you. They then had a slim chance of being able to fight, but only if they stood together and knew how to use the plug bayonet, and were also able to overlook the fact that a stiff blow across the blade of that plug bayonet with a sword was capable of bending or completely breaking the bayonet. This was due to a weak point in the design. It is no surprise that the plug bayonets soon went out of fashion, but the majority of the Williamite soldiers did not even get to the point of using them. The ranks broke and the men fled. In his letter to the Duke of Hamilton, Mackay appears to blame his men for their defeat, rather than his own decisions to take the low ground and to not fire upon the enemy until they charged. He wrote, There was no regiment or troop with me, except Hastings and my Lord Levens, whom I most praise at such a degree as I cannot but blame others, of whom I expected more. The soldiers, having failed to stand, ran, every man for himself. One Williamite soldier, Donald McBean, was recorded as having leapt a seemingly impossible distance over the River Gary, at a spot now known as Soldier's Leap. The leap itself was recorded by McBean in 1728 as being 18 foot, but it's since been measured as 18.5 foot. That's five and a half metres. I'm now going to read from Donald McBain's version of, of events. In his eyewitness account that was published in 1728, he wrote, The sun going down caused the Highland men to advance on us like madmen, without shoe or stocking, covering themselves from our fire with their targes. At last they cast away their muskets, 
drew their broadswords and advanced furiously upon us, and were in the middle of us before we could fire three shots apiece, broke us and obliged us to retreat. Some fled to the water, and some another way. We were the most part new men. I fled to the baggage, and took a horse in order to ride the water. There follows me a highland man, with sword and targe, in order to take the horse and kill myself. You'd laughed to see how he and I scampered about. I kept always the horse betwixt him and me. At length he drew his pistol, and I fled. He fired after me. I went above the pass, where I met with another water, very deep. It was about eighteen foot over betwixt two rocks. I resolved to jump it, so I laid down my gun and hat and jumped, and lost one of my shoes in the jump. Many of our men were lost in that water. The regiments mentioned by Mackay did manage to regroup before retiring from the field of battle, but Williamite losses were huge. The battle, once it had eventually begun, was over remarkably quickly. It is thought that 800 Jacobites were killed in the fighting, but 2,000 Williamites were killed. The first battle of the Jacobite period in Scotland was an undeniable victory for the Jacobite army. They chased their foes away and stopped to make the most of the enemy's baggage. But the true outcome of the battle was not as triumphant as they would have wished. Amongst the 800 Jacobite dead was the most important Jacobite on the field that day, James Graham of Claverhouse, Viscount Dundee. Having already seen his men succeed in their charge and the enemy begin to run, Claverhouse was shot, apparently in the chest, in the closing stages of the battle. The breastplate he is thought to have been wearing during that battle is held in Blair Castle to this day. The loss of the leader of the Jacobite army was not the end of the 1689 Rising, but without that leadership, the Rising struggled to maintain any cohesive and strategically strong activities. It is beyond doubt that the loss of Claverhouse was a major cause of the eventual end of the Rising after fighting at Dunkeld in August. Despite there being an effort to resume, which was defeated at Cromdale in May 1690, the Rising begun by Claverhouse in Dundee in April 1699 had run basically out of steam. Highland Objects is brought to you by Expo North Heritage, which is supported by Museums and Heritage Highland, Museums Gallery Scotland, Creative Scotland, Highlands and Islands Enterprise and Historic Environment Scotland.